In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. In the bustling streets of Philippi, Saints Paul and Silas encounter a slave girl with a mystifying ability to tell the future by means of a demonic spirit. Paul, annoyed, exercises the demon, which leads them into a dramatic confrontation with her masters. And as the city rises up against them, well, they're thrown in prison, which sets the stage for another awe-inspiring act of faith and a miraculous twist of God's word. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Wednesday, August 16th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, to help us explore this passage of Scripture, I'm pleased to introduce the Reverend Nabil Noor, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota, and fourth vice president of the LCMS, and a regular on the show. Good morning, Pastor Noor. Welcome back to the program. Good morning, my dear brother Boo, and uh, welcome to our saints who are listening through the medium of the internet or the radio. Glad you could join us on this wonderful day in Thy Strong Word. Well, how is life treating you? How's God using you for His work uh, since we last talked? How are things going? Well, the Lord is good to us. We just got, of course, done with the convention, which was a great blessing to our synod at large and for the Church, the Bride of Christ. And through it, we got many resolutions that will continue to help us broadcast and affirm the Scripture in its totality and the truth in particular. Uh, in my own personal life, I have been truly honored and privileged to travel yet again and proclaim the gospel. I was in Greenville, Illinois just recently, yeah, actually this past Sunday, and preached for a classmate of mine celebrating his 30th anniversary. And that whole week, I received three invitations to travel around the country to do 150th anniversary, 110th anniversary, and my bishop or my vigorous supervisor's 50th anniversary sermons for all of these things. So I'm humbled, humbled big time in that God wants to use a sinner like me to proclaim the gospel. Well, it sounds like you are a busy, busy man, so I'm just grateful that you've taken some time out to join us as we look through the book of Acts uh, I had said a couple episodes ago, or maybe it was, man, maybe it was many episodes ago, but the book of Acts is something I've read and even taught several times, but haven't had the chance to really go through it like we've been going through it on the show. So I've been really excited. And today's uh, lesson, so to speak, is certainly uh, no less intriguing than some of the others. We have a fortune-telling spirit. We have Who's telling the truth, by the way? We have uh, owners who are upset. We have a miraculous uh, jail event. Lots to get into. Um, let's begin, though, with a word of prayer. Would you lead us in that prayer, please? I would be honored. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, while you walk the dusty roads of Palestine, you said you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth. 
help us to be that beacon of light in this dark and dismal world and help us to be salt, salting the lives of others with your sweet and precious gospel. Be with us and among us today. Guide us as we swim in the ocean of your living and life-sustaining word. May that word enlighten us and bring us to the freedom that has been brought to the jailer in this book of history. Grant us wisdom to hear your word and to speak of its totality and truth, so that those who hear and those who believe might be stronger yet. And those who do not believe come to believe and be freed from the bondage of sin and slavery. To that end, hear us for Christ's sake, the author and perfecter of our faith, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen, brother. Would you catch us up? Would you let the people know who maybe didn't get yesterday's episode, what has been going on, what's led to where we are today? Well, let me just kind of uh, set this up here. Paul is uh, traveling, and today uh, we are told by Luke, and by the way, this is the only history book of the church and the birth of the church we call the Book of Acts, or the Apostles' uh, Activities. So it's a historical book, and it tells us really history of time and season and events. So we do know these things, and we are told in this uh, chapter, specifically about two different women. First, Lydia, which was uh, talked about yesterday. And Lydia, somewhat her own wealth, has. she's not wealthy, wealthy per se, but she has her own means, independence, and woman of uh, the head of her household. And she uh, becomes um, an acquaintance of Paul and becomes free and becomes baptized. The second woman is a slave. Earlier when I was listening, while I was waiting to come online, I heard the advertisement about the human trafficking that's going on. So in this sense, this woman has been taken a slave by human trafficking by the cartel of that time. She is slave to the evil spirit that possessed her. She had no power, no status or freedom. However, as you said, Pastor Boo, she spoke the truth about Paul and his partner, following them all around. And she was giving literally, I don't know if you thought about this or not, Paul free advertisement about the gospel. Okay? That's the first setting. And, of course, Paul gets aggravated because even though she's saying the truth but not the total truth— because she did not emphasize this is the way of salvation that Paul is talking about. And so he, uh, using the name of Jesus, chastises her and frees her first and foremost from the spirit that had her occupied in her life. And it reminds me where Jesus talked about the evil spirits, the sons of Skisa who wanted to remove um, the spirit, but could not because they didn't ask upon the name of Jesus. So this is the first portion of the encounter of our account today in this narrative. And the second is where Paul, having lost, having caused the loss of income for this uh, um, trafficked woman, the slave, her owners are so furious 
that literally they raise up a ruckus, they um, bring a mob, they beat Paul and Silas and throw them in jail. And here is the irony that really boggles my mind. Uh, they are in jail, and what do they do? They're singing hymns in the midst of darkness of the dungy um, cell. They're singing, and then an earthquake ha- happens, and the doors are opened, and the jailer, who was responsible for their lives, is about to kill himself. And Paul says, hold it, we are still here. And then the story develops into a most compassionate um, story where this man says, hey, what must I do to be saved? And the rest of the story is how he takes them home, uh, washes their wounds, and they are baptized and become believers. The unknown and unnamed woman, she's freed from the bondage, but she is out of the scene. We know nothing about her. We would like to know that. Uh, Lydia, of course, became a believer because she was baptized, and so is the jailer. He's also baptized and his whole family. So this is a sweet story of God, excuse me, working everything for our good. And what we see here, that the power of darkness does not win the day. But Paul and Silas, through the gospel, they exemplify what it means to be living in the grace and mercy of God. Now, think of it this way. In the West, meaning America, we feel if we are persecuted or offended, we have our rights to stand up. Paul didn't do so much, except he lived his life as a child of God, and he gave witness as light in a dark world and salt to season the life of others. So as we dig deeply into this narrative, we really need to see the backgrounds. As I often tell my saints at Trinity and wherever I go to teach or preach, there are three big C's that are really, really important for us. And you're going to ask me that, Pastor Boo. Uh, Give us the background. So context is king, culture is queen, and Christ is the center. The context and the culture bring us down to the middle, which is about Christ. This whole story is the power of Christ in saving people in a most unusual way. How can God put Paul and Silas in jail to be persecuted, to be beaten, and yet through that event, a family are saved and becomes true believers and followers of Jesus Christ. So this is kind of the background, and it's a, it's a marvelous narrative that Luke weaves for us to show us the power of the gospel, which, of course, Paul writes in uh, Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first to the Jews and then to the Greek. And the word for power in that text in the original is dynamite. So it's a beautiful, dynamic, charismatic uh, um, narrative that changes hearts, many hearts, even to our time and to our age. Well, why don't we get some of these verses out on the table, so to speak? I'm going to read Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. Here we go. 
As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, so that's our first part of our text. And you'd already talked about how this slave girl really connects a little bit to the, I was going to say modern, but unfortunately this has been going on throughout history, but the, uh, uh, the, the slave trade or uh, people being abducted and pressed into, pressed into uh, a servitude toward others. So we, that's Luke and them, uh, they run into this slave girl, um, but you know the situation isn't good for her. So expound a little bit more on how she can have a spirit, I'm assuming an evil spirit, right? And yet... It is an evil spirit, according to the Greek. And we do know, even during the time of Jesus, that we had evil spirits. You know, look how many people Jesus had to free the man in the tomb, for example. He was filled with the spirits because the Lord asked how many, and they said they are legion. Well, a legion is 12,000 spirits. So we do know... Evil spirits do exist because the devil masquerade as an angel of light. And what was troubling about this for Paul, even though she was saying this, the truth, as you shared and as I shared, what was troubling, that's not the way to proclaim the gospel. It was annoying because it was a forced gospel. Now, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about whether in change or free, as long as the gospel is uh, being broadcast. What was troubling here, and this is an assumption on my part, is that Paul is speaking and she's interrupting him, and he got to the point, he got annoyed, okay? I have traveled extensively, and I'm sure you have preached many years. And so if you preach and somebody's constantly um, interrupting you, at one point or another, you have to say, that is enough. And I'll give you an example. So I was lecturing about the difference between the three different religions, monotheistic religions, that is Judaism, Christianity, and Muslims. And in the audience was a Muslim man, and I was talking about they don't worship the same God, and he kept interrupting me. And I finally had to say, sir, that is enough. I need to continue. So there comes a time of annoyance, and Paul kind of reaches his limit by saying, hey, 
that's enough. You've harassed us enough. I need to do what the Lord has privileged me to do, and that is to share the gospel in all of its sweetness. And that's why he's upset with her that he finally says, in the name of Jesus, you come out. And what happened? As soon as those words were uttered, there was deliverance. It's the same thing as when Jesus talked to the uh, centurion at that moment, because he came to talk to his slave um, who was sick. And at that moment, as soon as Jesus spoke the words, um, there is the freedom from the sickness. And we have to remember, Pastor Boo and the audience who are listening, there is power in the word. They are words of life. There is power in that word. And this is why we emphasize in our teaching, in our doctrine, the means of grace, the sacrament, along with the word. The word produces effect, as Isaiah 55 reminds us. It will never come back to me empty, but will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. So this is the reason Paul says, enough is enough. And then what happens after this, when the owner, let's call him the cartel of that day, okay? Let's call them for what they are, because they have kidnapped this girl. They were abusing her, and they were making money. Today, of course, we have sexual trafficking, human trafficking, sweatshops, and the like. But in this case, it was using her for their own benefit. And when the funds were running out, they got so angry that they grabbed ball raised everybody and began to beat them and finally throw them into the um, jail and the beating. And this is kind of where we are at at this moment right here. And because they abused them in saying, and here's the one thing that I shared. Paul did not say, hey, I'm a Roman citizen at this point. He could have, as we in America, we would have done that also. But he did not do that at this moment. He just stands still. But he, um, uh, they take him to the jail, and they don't put him just, or put them, not him, because they were partners. They did not just put them uh, on the surface, but they put them way deep down, making sure there's no escape, because you have to go through more than one gate. And it's an eerie feeling, but that's where they put them, and this is where God was working in their lives. Well, I'm going to take us back to uh, the, the woman's words, right? So uh, as I was trying to say earlier, she followed Paul and she's crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now we often will illustrate that like, look, she's, even the demons know Jesus, even the spirits uh, know the one true God, right? So being religious or re- being spiritual or knowing there's a God or even knowing that Jesus is the son of God is not equal to just, you know, having saving faith, right? Because there's plenty of uh, uh, creatures and people who know these things and are not saved. So in this case, she's being led along by this spirit, and she says the Most High God. What's What I think con- is contrasting here with some of the other ways that Paul gets his rear end whooped, frankly, is that they stir them up by pointing to the fact that these are Jews, and they're against Correct. what we Romans like. Typically, it would be, these Jews are coming in telling us to not obey the law of Moses, or they're telling us that circumcision isn't necessary. They would make up something like there. So when this girl says, 
they are servants of the Most High God, we know she's telling the truth by means of this divining spirit. But wouldn't you agree that the people in Philippi, because of the lack of, frankly, Jews there, uh, they would probably assume she was speaking of something like Zeus, the chief god of the Greek pantheon. They wouldn't hear, you know, messianic language. They wouldn't hear the the Jewish god. They wouldn't hear Yahweh. They would probably hear uh, Zeus when she's out crying these things, wouldn't you say? Uh, thank you for bringing that up, because as you know, they were the Romans and the Greeks were pantheistic, meaning pan is many. So they had many different gods, and Zeus, of course, was the ultimate. And they, of course, they have Baal and the many others and Venus and all the others. For each one had a specific duty. Okay, and um, she does say that, and in the, of course, in the ESV translation, the Most High God is capitalized to speak about the only true God. But for the hearers over there, more than likely, they uh, would have thought, like you said, of their gods, not the God of the Jews. Okay? And what was the offense is that they were Jewish people, they took the funds away from them, and they are doing stuff that they should not be doing here. And look at verse 21. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. What are the customs? We are not told, but Paul was preaching the gospel. He was on his way to the prayer, uh, and uh, while he was there, of course, this young lady began to harass them by what she was saying. So what we see here then is this, yeah, the, the apostles... I guess ethnicity, their heritage becomes part of the rhetoric they're using to stir up the leadership and all the people against them. As you pointed out, they're saying, hey, listen, we Romans, and I think they might even say, we're religious people. Unlike these Jews, they're not religious. They they kind of believe in one God. What? How, how, how religious could they be if they only have one God? Uh, and so they were often seen as not only outsiders, but I guess, threats to their their way of life. Um, so the crowd joins in and attacking them. The magistrates tear off their garments. And as you've already pointed out, they put them deep, 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 deep in the jail and fasten their feet in stocks. You know, that uh, most secure part of the prison, um, which I think when we think of prisons today, we we often think of um, well, just like jails, you know, concrete buildings, bars, that kind of stuff. But the prisons of, you know, Philippi in the first century would have been more like, you know, caves or, or, or certainly structures that they built, but they wouldn't have like plumbing or lighting or anything you might think of. So our jails today would be luxury palaces compared to the jails of that time. So this is a deep, dark a uh, really, really bad situation they found themselves in. I mean, I, perhaps even one of the worst so far. They don't know what's going to happen, and now they've they've you know gotten themselves in trouble by exercising this this poor girl. Uh, let me just add, you know, I grew up in Israel, and of course we have a lot of uh, archaeological digs going all over, and I've been to some of these dungeons. Uh, I even been to the place where they um, believe that Jesus was overnight. 
they literally, it would be a hole dug in the concrete, and they would put something on the wall to fasten them. But there are no bars whatsoever. Uh, let me just share from personal experience, um, over, I would say, almost 40 years now, I was involved in prison ministry. Man to Man was the program called. And so I would go into the state penitentiary because it is locally in Sioux Falls. And I remember the first time the eerie feeling of going into this place. I walk in, of course, I had to take everything out of my pocket. So I had to go in free, no Bibles or nothing. And then uh, one door began, click, 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 click. And that door was about three inches wide. That's all bars. And I go in and then click, 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 and it closes. And now I'm between two different gates. Then I had to wait for the second gate to open up for me to go into the inner. It's kind of like that. But in the case of the apostles here, Silas and Paul, literally are taken into the deepest depth of hell, so to speak, the dungeon, no lights, no bathrooms, nothing. And I've been in many uh, places in the state penitentiary because I did ministry there. And so I've seen what they have, and you think they got TVs, they got HBO, they got food, they got trays, they got lights, they got shops. This is not what we're talking about. This is an earthen dirt, walls that are damp and cold and dark and dismal. And, you know, uh, think of uh, also Joseph. He was in jail for some times, and so was Jesus. So it's not uncommon for the believers to be persecuted. And if you look at the book of Acts, chapter 9, where the Lord chooses uh, Paul and changes his name, he tells him, you're going to suffer much on account of my name. So we do know that for a fact, and the words of Christ, of course, is the absolute truth, that he uh, does bring something into the forefront. And so when you think of the jail yeah, don't think like today's jail, bars and stuff. Think of walls um, dug into this cave, and you have hit um, shackles that you are there, and you are put in there, and of course there's a guard over there. And that's why when the earthquakes happen, uh, they are afraid because everything comes loose. And at that time... When um, a jailer lost the prisoners, his life was required of him. And this is why he was about, and we'll get to that here shortly. Yeah, uh, we hadn't got there yet. We'll get there in just a moment. I want to interrupt because it is time for our break. So folks, don't go anywhere. We will get into that next section when we return. Uh, We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, 
go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend Nabil Noor, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota. Friends, it's always a blessing to be in God's Word, and I'm especially blessed that I have each of you with me this morning as we study the book of Acts. I love hearing from you guys, and I'm happy to answer any questions you have. You can reach me by email at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook. Just search for Phil Boo. haven't quite joined X or Twitter or whatever they call it nowadays, but you can find me on Facebook. You can also drop a note just to say hi. If you do, let me know where you're listening from. Also, let me know how you connect to the show because there's so many ways. You can listen over the air. You can listen as a podcast online at kfuo.org or even using the KFUO app. All kinds of ways to stay connected to the Bible and the show and all of other KFO shows. But now, let's head back. Let's We've left Paul and Silas in prison. We want to see what happens next. Uh, brother, I'm just going to go ahead and read the next section so that we can dive right in. Here we go. Go this for it. Be verse- May I say one thing before you start reading? Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Uh, just... Before we came on the air, Dr. Gregory Zelz came on and spoke about the liberty and the freedom uh, that comes through the truth. I thought how fitting that even today, even as you and I were speaking about the freedom that this young lady, as well as Lydia, and soon we'll talk about the jailer, that we are still in the business of bringing the gospel so freedom can be tasted by others. Amen to that. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his whole household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let these men go. And their jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. Well, the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. 
So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. All right, so that's the end of our text appointed for today, the end of the chapter two. So here we have them, they're in the prison, but they have this uh, just, how, how do we say? It? I guess it's a divine encounter, right? The, the earthquake shakes the foundations of the prison, the bonds are released. I think the bonds being released is at the very least the divine aspect. But the jailer woke and he was about to take his life. Uh, take us through this again. How, how do we see this happening today, right? We, we, we've heard this story before, and I know you're going to explain it well. But how also do we see this today where we as Christians might be given the opportunity to witness through what we might consider persecution? Well, remember that the Lord is a faithful God who uses every opportunity to spread the good news. That's number one. Number two, he has authority over everything in this world, be it earth or sea or sun or sky. It doesn't make a difference. Think when Jesus walked on the water and... um, for defying defying, um, physics, how do you walk on water? You sink, but he doesn't. And then he says to the sea, shut up or be quiet. Some of the translation have that, but in the Greek, shut up, and the sea stops. So God has total control of everything. And if you look at 1 Kings, where Elijah, he's out in the wilderness, then comes the earthquake, comes the fire, comes the storm, but then in the whisper of a voice. Here, God personally intervenes with a divine earthquake. We can say, double entendre here, there's an earthquake that shook the building, but there's an earthquake that shook the hearts of the people, and in particularly, the jailer. Now, we are told here that they were already in prison, they were there, and notice in verse 25, they were praying and singing hymns to God. Just think of that wonderful testimony to the prisoners. You know, here they are. They don't know the future. They don't know what's going on. And yet we find them with joy in their hearts, singing and praying. Now, I don't know, Pastor Boo, if I would have the guts or the uh, know about to say this is a time to praise God more than I'm lamenting my state. Why am I here? I didn't do anything. But this is not what Paul is doing. They are praying, and we thank God for their testimony. And as they were doing this immediately, um, there was this earthquake, and everything is rattled and shaking and everything's open, the bonds, literally the bonds are broken to pieces. And then, notice this word by Luke, when the jailer woke. He must have been taking his nose, realizing that everybody's sec- everyone is secure, and all of a sudden he, he sees everything that's open. What's the first thing he does Rather than going to the gallow, having his head beheaded, they wouldn't have put him on the gallow. They would have beheaded him. He um, takes his sword and says, hey, I better end my life. 
And at that moment, in compassion, in mercy, and love, Paul, the ambassador and the apostle of Jesus Christ, says, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Just, just envision your position. You thought, here's the end of my life. My family is not going to see me again. And Paul says, do no harm to yourself. We are here. And at that moment, we, the description of Luke is almost like taking a flashlight and a video camera and taking you from the outside to the inside. Every step you're getting closer. And he called for light and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and said, and this is just brings tears to my eyes, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And let me just pause here and kind of challenge our hearers. Did um, this jailer who's unnamed, did he ask Paul, why didn't you run away? Why didn't you leave? We are not told that by Luke, and that's we leave that to the Spirit. But what we are told is enough to move your heart at the compassion and the grace of God. This is what we call grace. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Perhaps, and again, we are not privy to all of this, perhaps in the hymns and in the singing they were doing, those words took root in this jailer house, and he found comfort in them. And so he rushes in, and he said, what must I do? And simply believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Can you share any better gospel statement than this? Uh, last Sunday, no, not this past Sunday, a week ago, uh, on the 9th, I had a seven-year-old kid who came to visit our church, and he says, Pastor, can I talk to you? Sure. Brought into my office. He wanted to know about baptism. And at the end of the conversation, he says, Pastor, will you baptize me? Seven-year-old. Brought tears to my eyes. And uh, we are working on that with his parents and grandparents. And I don't want to go too much into that story, but we are working to bring this seven-year-old to be part of the family of God through baptism. Because he believes. And he says, uh, can you baptize me? And so here we see this young man, unknown to us his name, but he says, what must I do? And Paul emphatically says to him, sir, believe in the Lord and you will be saved. And of course, he identified the Lord, the name of Jesus, because there's no other name under heaven given by men by which we might be saved except the name of Jesus, and you will be saved. And then, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They didn't just say that. They kept teaching and preaching and explaining and um, to him and to all. So by that time, we do know that he had taken them and brought them home, washed them, and just, just think of the compassion of this man that now he is reciprocating to those two prisoners. And what you see here is compassion par excellence from two different views, from the views of Paul to this jailer, do, do no harm. 
which, of course, all of the doctors take an oath today, but they don't do that because they kill babies and murder babies. That's another story for another time. And then the compassion that the jailer does when he takes them home, washes them and uh, feeds them and helps them and cleans them, and then they baptize the whole household. And there's great rejoicing in that house. Great rejoicing. It is hard to comprehend the joy uh, that they now become believers. Remember, they are Romans, jailers, and now they are believers because of the incidents, A, of the earthquakes, B, Paul and Silas were singing and praying, and C, because they did not leave even though they had the opportunity to run away. What a really uh, Luke, by God's grace and by the Spirit's leading, pens these words for us as a video for us to capture, and it's it's a beautiful narrative. It's uh, it is so rich, it's so profound, it's so pregnant, it's so poignant that it just draws you in and say, all you can say, thank you, Lord, for the mighty work that you do in the life of your people. So Paul is being persecuted for proclaiming the faith. Well, in a way, he's in town because of his faith, because this demonic spirit was inhabiting this girl, and even though she was obviously able to predict enough true things to make some money for her masters, he kind of out of annoyance, it seems, maybe even more than just his goodwill, uh, frees her of this particular uh, spirit, and of course, they're persecuted. Returning to my question a moment ago, uh, what do you think uh, today, in what ways do can Christians, or maybe is God using the persecution that Christians face, but how can Christians use persecution, no matter how strong or weak the persecution is, to be able to proclaim the faith, right? How can we emulate Paul and Silas and their, and their courage, but also recognizing that even in the midst of times that are bad, even when you're in the deepest, darkest prison, that God is still with you and is still working through you. That must have been comforting to him, too. How do you see that playing out today in modern times? Well, I see it in persecution, uh, because in the Middle East we are persecuted a lot more than here, literally, and your life is at stake, specifically in the uh, Muslim worlds, okay? So on the one hand, you have that where um, you think of during... um, the Al-Qaeda when they were in power and they were destroying the Christians, the 22 Coptic Christians who were put in jail and they burned them alive. They didn't scream, they didn't holler, they gave testimony and lives have been changed because of their testimony. And one of the things I tell many saints, my own as well as others, is the fact that um, that uh, let's say I'm talking to somebody who has cancer. And I would say, dear saint, um, let's just say her name is Sandra for the sake of discussion. Sandra, there is cancer in your life and you are dying. And I would always say to them, specifically to Sandra, uh, in my prayers, Lord, teach her to use this to give witness to your grace in her life. Now, it's hard to do that. When you walk with God, realizing whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's, we use every opportunity to give a witness to the God of all grace. 
And that's the beauty of it all. Uh, as I said earlier, will I be able to do that when the time has been called upon me to do? I don't know. I really don't know if I would have the power and the gumption and the gall like Paul and Silas did to communicate this truth. But they did. And we right. thank God for their witness. And I pray that you and I and all of our uh, listeners who are being persecuted even today in this country, and it's becoming more and more obvious that we are going to be persecuted. It's not if, it's when. When you think of the, um, and I'm not sure what state it is, where the baker uh, was asked to make a cake for the homosexual, he says, absolutely not. What happened to him? He was put under duress, lost a lot of money. Uh, the government asked him to pay uh, penalties for those. And so we are being persecuted. But through it all, <clears throat> excuse me, he stood firm. And it is in that mean and in that spirit that we are able to do that, for, uh, that um, uh, thing. And remember what the Lord has also said. Even when we are not able to speak, the Holy Spirit will guide us and lead us in what to say when we are put in these positions. And I think rather than how can we do it when the time, uh, you know, as we look, what happened if we are in this process, rather than thinking this way, I would suggest that we would rely on the Spirit's power and say, Lord, use me as you see fit, however that may be. And that's the joy that we are able to do. I don't know if that answered your question, but I believe that the Holy Spirit gives us the ability sure. and the power to speak. Even well, I'm, we thinking, speak. I'm thinking of the proverbial Sandra out there listening in the audience who has cancer. And, Correct. And she says, Okay, Pastor Noor, I have cancer, and, and I should seek God's will to use that to continue to proclaim His glory. What does that look like? Um, one of the things I will speak from personal experience, I've had those, Lord, uh, she would say, Pastor, I don't know why the Lord has brought this upon me, but I've had many opportunities to speak to others about the love of Jesus in my life and even in this situation. I think that takes great comfort and great strength to say. Now, what does it look like? That's individually, one-on-one. -on -one. Say, you know, it's not as bad as you think. Yes, I'm going through all of this. And yes, more than likely, I'm not going to be out of it. But hey, think of it in this way. When the time for me comes, I'm going to be with my Lord and my Savior forever and ever, and I will not need to worry about this cancer. So there are those opportunities, and I've seen it, and I'm certain you have also, when you hear them say, I trust that even in this, my Heavenly Father is working for me. And they say in their own words, and maybe not like a pastor would talk, like you and I would talk, but in their own way, they would say, you know, I have made peace with God, and I'm confident whenever the Lord takes me, I'm ready to go. That's a great testimony. I had lunch with a colleague, uh, not a colleague, a dear, dear, dear friend of mine just recently. And uh, while we were having lunch, he was telling me about the ailments. And he says, you know, Pastor Noor, whenever the Lord takes me, I'm ready to go. 
and what a joy that will be. I mean, I couldn't ask for any better testimony from this dear friend of mine. He's, uh, he's older than me by 10 years. He's almost 80. And we were having lunch, and he was telling me about all the ailments he has because of the medicine they gave him, which was the wrong kind, and it caused a lot of issues with him. And he says it probably will kill me ultimately. But, hey, what a great day that will be. I will be my savior. You couldn't have asked for a better testimony from somebody than he did. That's the kind of thing that our saints are privileged and honored and blessed to share with others as they give testimony to the God of grace. Yesterday, one of the minor points that we made is that the Christians sometimes must voluntarily not exercise their, even some aspects of their Christian freedom or even their political rights for the sake of the other. And we we talked about that a little bit. Here's an example where Paul did not exercise his rights at the beginning, although he could have, but at some point he did. He, he noted that he was a Roman citizen, that they both were, and they weren't. it was illegal to beat a Roman citizen. What they had endured was illegal, and so he reports that. He exercises his right. Um, how do we help the Christian navigate that, that difference between times when, for, say, the weaker brother, I should say, you know what, even though I have a right, I'm not going to emphasize that right for the sake of the brother. Or in this case, I have a political right, and I could just leave. They're trying to get rid of me. I want to go. I just want to go to the next city and proclaim Christ, but I'm going to hang around and proclaim my rights, make them come down here and demonstrate that they have done something wrong and we are innocent. Um, why go through that, Paul? So how do – I know it's not prescriptive but descriptive, but how do we – how would you recommend our listeners discern between – when it's time to stand up for your rights and when it's time to uh, let them go to the side for the brother. And I think the one, uh, the one wonderful thing that I can say, always ask God in prayer what you should do. Okay. And I will share that with you because this has really happened. There's a friend of mine and I who used to go to a Bible study every week, and he was a truck driver, delivered gas to farmers in a small community. And every day at noon, he would stop at this location to get some popcorn. They had popcorn. And a, uh, a friend or an acquaintance of him saw him, and he thought he was going in there for a drink at the bar. And so by being very conscientious of the weak brother, he quit stopping for popcorn. Did he have to? No. Did the guy ask him to? No. But he prayed and he felt compelled by God's mercy to say, I'm not going to go there because I don't want to cause my brother to think that I'm going there to drink. And I think... um, that when we seek God's wisdom, Lord, direct me so that I may know how to live for you. Uh, I love the Hebrew language because uh, I speak Hebrew, of course. I grew up with the Hebrew language. I love the words of um, David in Psalm 19 where he says, I will meditate on your word day and night. And to meditate is literally like a lion chewing its prey. He's salvaging over the meal. He's stirring that thing in there. It's kind of like marinating something. You just leave it together. You go over it and over it and over it 
until it becomes part of you. You chew it, you think of it, and when you marinate that and you meditate on it, the Lord will guide you in how to live. You said it's not prescriptive. We don't have A, B, C, D. This is what we do. It's descriptive in our way. You may do it differently than I do, Brother Boo, but at the same token, we live our lives every day in the light of the gospel so it touches hearts and mind. And that's the best way to live, always sharing God's good news with the people around us. And what a privilege and what an honor it is for us to do so. I want to jump in, though, with a real quick caveat, because I've, I've observed this even in my, compared to yours, limited pastoral experience, that a lot of people seek the wisdom of God. They pray, God, guide me in what I should do. But they ignore the fact that God does not speak to us or has chosen not to speak to us through any other way besides his scriptures. So if you're never in the word and you're never observing how the saints did it or learning the commands of God or, or, or taking in the teachings of Jesus that shape how we live and we're just praying, God, direct me, God is directing us through his word. So not that I'm denying the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but it's also very important, and I think you would agree, that we temper our prayers, right? We pray to God, but we seek what he has to say by digging into the scriptures. Um, anything on that before we end? We're here at the last two minutes. Absolutely. Of the show. Um, since 1994, I have a dial of prayer ministry that people can call. And today I spoke about how God answers our prayers. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. But how do I know what it is? As you said, we dig into the scripture, search the scripture for the testify about me. If you don't have uh, contact with the scripture, the living word of God, when you don't have that as the anchor, the foundation, and the confirmation of our faith, you say, well, help me, Lord, but which Lord are you praying for? So we want to be grounded in the Word of God, and when you are grounded in the Word of God, and when you read the Scripture, God will give you the answer in His own time, in His own way. And that's the comfort we have. We draw our um, answers from the living Word of God, because God will never leave us out of His uh, grasp. And so the comfort is, the Word does speak even today. Well, that's where we'll have to leave it, brother. I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend Nabil Noor, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota. Thank you, pastor, for being on the show. Thank you. It's my privilege and my God blessings to all of our listeners. Come alongside us, folks, tomorrow as we go into Acts chapter 17, the first half. We're going to embark on a journey alongside the Apostle Paul as he now ventures into the heart of Thessalonica and Berea and Athens, in Thessalonica, the message of the resurrected Jesus stirs the city to its core. In Berea, we have those noble-hearted residents eagerly searching the Bible to confirm Paul's teaching. But it is in the cultural epicenter that is Athens where Paul's passion for the gospel shines as he addresses a crowd of thinkers at the Areopagus, and he lets them know about who the unknown God really is. That's all tomorrow. But until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.